Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. So the question today is, what is the good news of the gospel? And I don't know if you read the chapter. I hope that you did. But I, I wonder if Second Samuel chapter 7 can help us answer that question today. Second uh, Samuel chapter 7 is, it is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. And, and while the entire Bible, it is inerrant, it is inspired by God, it is good for teaching, it, it, it feeds our faith, and so on, <clears throat> um, you can't escape from the reality that some chapters, some chapters in the Bible are more significant. And 2 Samuel chapter 7 is significant because it helps us fit the whole story, the whole story of the Bible together just brings it all together. And this is tremendously important because understanding the whole Bible, uh, it can seem enormously daunting to a new or even an intermediate uh, uh, believer. Very few believers will read through their Bible all the way through, even once in their entire life. So if we don't understand the Bible as a whole, it is easy to let the outside arguments, um, the world's viewpoint, make us feel a little less confident in what we believe and what we believe in. And, and we won't be able to approach the unbeliever with a calm uh, and confidence because, well, we don't truly understand uh, what the good news of the gospel is. So today I'm going to try to wrap the good news of the gospel and in a simple package, as simple as I can make it, and I'm going to tie it with a Christmas bow, and I'm going to hand it to you to take home, and, or stay home if you live here, and and know and and you can know that your hope is real, and that it is exciting, and that our eternity as Christians is secured. Okay, so Second Samuel chapter seven is significant, like I said, because it helps us fit the whole story of the Bible together. It, it, what we might call the big God story, from the first chapter of the Bible in Genesis chapter one to the last chapter in Revelations chapter twenty-two. This is the big God story. Second Samuel chapter seven is one of those key chapters that help us fit the story together, and it helps us to understand who Jesus is and why he came. So we'll start in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and then we'll, and then we'll back out. Okay, we're going we're gonna to close in on the chapter, but then we're going to back out, and we're going to look at the big picture. In this chapter, uh, chapter 7, David decides that there is now peace in the land. Uh, he wants to build, and, and on a side note real quick, if you, and when we read 2 Samuel chapter 8, understand that the author probably put this chapter before chapter 8, where chronologically 8 was probably before 7. Just side note. Interesting side note. But in this chapter, so David decides there's now peace in the land. He wants to build the Lord. He says he wants to build the Lord a house or a temple. And something better than the ark than the tent that the ark of the covenant was currently housed in in this chapter okay and nathan the prophet he makes his first appearance in this epic 
in this chapter. And, and when David tells the prophet Nathan, hey, uh, you know, uh, he tells him about this plan to build God this great house, uh, Nathan responds very positively. Nathan says, dude, for sure, go for it. That sounds like an awesome plan. You know, sounds right. Sounds right. Um, so Nathan thinks it's a great idea. But that night, God appears to Nathan and he says, hold up a minute, Nathan. He says, I've got other plans here. Uh, David isn't, he says, David is not going to build me a house. I'm going to build and establish him a house. That's what he says in the, in, in, to, to Nathan. So God turns it all around with this idea that David could build a house for God. So there's a play on words occurring in this chapter because the word house it appears 11 times that I counted in the chapter. I might have missed a couple. It appears 11 times in the chapter. And it, sometimes it refers to a building like... Sorry, I'm hearing beeping. So sometimes it, it appears uh, uh, to a building like the, um, uh, like the temple. And sometimes it refers to a dynasty like the descendants of a king. Okay. Uh, and David says he's going to build God a physical house. But God says, no, I'm going to build you a dynasty. I'm going to build you a different kind of house. So through the prophet Nathan, God says that David's son will succeed him. And we know that that happened when David died and his son Solomon became king. But then God goes further. Here in verse 16, it says, God says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So here God has promised David an eternal throne. Somehow through his, through David's descendants, he has promised, God has promised him an eternal kingship. And in order to understand this, we've got to back, we've got to back out to the big picture of the Bible for a second. So all the way back in Genesis chapter one, on the first page of the Bible, it says God created man and woman in his image. He created human beings to image him here on earth, to be rulers under his authority. He gave them the responsibility to cultivate the garden that he had put them into. And then sin, it messes it all up, right? Because instead of ruling under God's authority, we try to usurp God's authority and overthrow God's authority. Instead of letting God define right and wrong, we thought we could define right and wrong. <clears throat> and when human beings sinned against God and rebelled against him, we started to go down a road of darkness and chaos. And then that sin led to the ruptured relationship between Adam and Eve and between them and God, and between them and creation. And it led to the first murder involving Cain and Abel. It led to the flood of judgment. It led to the Tower of Babel. But God doesn't give up on his world. Instead, God reboots his, his kingdom by raising up Abraham. And he makes a promise to Abraham that through his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. God promised Abraham and Sarah a child. He, he promised them that he would give them and their descendants land and that the whole world would be blessed through them. 
And part of that blessing included that God would, would raise up kings from the line of Abraham. So while the Israelites now are in Egypt, we read in the book of Exodus in chapter 19 that, that they are a kingdom of priests, okay? And if you're a kingdom, Michael, if you're a kingdom, what does every kingdom have? A king. A king, right? And, and who is the king of the Israelites? It's God. And God is ruling over them. But when the Israelites get out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, they repeat the mistakes of Adam and Eve in the garden. And they rebel against God and they usurp his authority. And all of the chaos of sin and evil are visited on them in the promised land. <clears throat> Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And other nations are coming and they're taking the Israelites captive as part of God's discipline against them for their sin. And so the Israelites, they cry out for a king, right? And God had told them what kind of king that, that they should want. A, a king after his heart, a king who followed his laws, a king that would rule under his authority. But instead, but instead the people want a king like the nations around them. So God gives them Saul. Saul has made their king, but eventually he is rejected by God because he does not have God's heart. And God anoints David to be their king. And now in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God is making a promise to David that sounds a lot like the promise to Abraham that we just went over. He promises to make his name great. He promises to give him land. He promises to give him descendants. But then he goes a step further with David, and he says that one of his descendants will sit on, a, on an eternal throne and have an eternal kingdom. So after David, Solomon ruled, and after Solomon ruled, the kingdom was split into the northern and southern tribes. All of the kings that followed David never really measured up. Uh, they never really measured up to the, to the standard that would be needed to have an eternal throne and, and be the ideal Israelite king. Some of the kings here, some of the kings were good. Uh, most of them were pretty stinking bad, right? And, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and none of them had an eternal kingdom. They lived, and then they died. Eventually, because of the sins of the Israelites, they were sent into exile, and this would be an exile into Assyria, and an exile into Babylon. God promised them while they're in exile now that he would raise up a Messiah. He would send an anointed one. He would send a ruler for his people. When Jesus comes on the scene, it is clear that he comes from the line of David. That is, that he is, that he is now the Messiah. He is the anointed leader, and he comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. At his crucifixion, the soldiers mockingly put a th crown of thorns on his head, like Michael, I think, just read. They mockingly placed a kingly robe around him and, and bent down on their knees, and they said, Hail to the king, mockingly. They lifted him up, and they put him not on a throne, but they put him on a cross. And on, on the top of that cross read the sign that, hey, this was the king of the Jews. Pilate's sign 
had more truth on it than he could ever understand. Ever understand. By his death and resurrection, Jesus now has all authority in heaven and on earth. And today he sits on his throne ruling the world. Today. Jesus is the anointed king. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David in this chapter. He is the one with an eternal throne and the eternal kingdom. Jesus is the king that we need to rule our world. One day he will come back and fully establish his kingdom by bringing his remnant to heaven. Until then, he gives every person the opportunity to enter into his kingdom through repentance and faith, to repent of our self-rule and repent of our desire to usurp his authority, to repent of defining good and evil on our own terms, and to believe in Christ, to believe that he is the reigning king and to give our allegiance to him and to be faithful to King Jesus. So who is Jesus? He is the great king. He has come to reestablish his kingdom in this broken world, and he calls on us to surrender our life to him. And, and that's what a Christian does. A Christian is one who follows Jesus. A Christian is one who gladly bends the knee to Jesus. And a Christian says, Jesus, you are my Lord and my King, and I surrender my life to you. From that point on, life is full of repentance and faith and turning from our sin and putting our faith back in the death and resurrection of our King who died in our place for our sin. Guess what? That is the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is a pivotal chapter that foretells the eternal successor in David's line. The servant king, the prince of peace, the good news, the word. And it all goes back to the beginning because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it goes all the way to the end, Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus tells us in the very last chapter, in almost the very last verse, he says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Sorry, that was supposed to come up there. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is this centralized point that tells us how we fit the beginning and the end together. And I hope that you can see that, and I hope that you can see how it leads to the good news of the death and resurrection of our Christ. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.